Hello and welcome to the first Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden, and Etchez Adokwu. Hello, Etch, how are you? Yeah, um, I'm not too bad, actually. I've been uh, watching a fair bit of Bundesliga. Me too, me too. As I'm, sh- as I'm sure you've been watching it. Um, Turam and Plie had a really good combination the weekend. I think they got 18 goals and 17 assists between them this season, mm. which I think is which is pretty good. Yeah, Plie was at Nice, wasn't he? And then obviously ousted yeah. by Balotelli. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the mercenary, that's Balotelli. And also the Sancho hat-trick as well, which is really good. Um, mm. Obviously, good to see English talent. Uh, going abroad and doing really, really yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. Cause, well, um, he actually didn't start again in the Ruhr Derby against Schalke and mm. didn't start against Bayern. Mm. So I don't know if that's a reflection of how often he starts for Borussia. Mm. Um, but obviously he scored a hat-trick um, in the game against... Paderborn. 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 Adrian is beginning to sweat there. Um, <laughs> but then I think the weekend of Bundesliga and obviously what's gone on recently... I think I was really moved by the solidarity between the celebrations from Turam, mm. uh, from Sancho and McKinney, is that his name? From Western McKinney. Yeah, Western McKinney. And I think I personally, I, I was very proud for those players. So I think I actually risked a lot in showing their support for George Floyd. I mm. think you know what they risked was greater online abuse from certain quarters being told to stick to football, potentially, which can also happen as well. General abuse, just maybe on the streets, from people that disagree with their stance. Mm. And also future opportunities. I really do think that when you when you put your heart on the line, so to speak, for something like that, for a movement like that, can be quite risky, and it was actually very inspiring. Yeah, and, and so financially, it can only potentially be uh, detrimental. So yeah, if exactly. you, don't, you get dropped by a sponsor or... You don't or more. You don't get that next sponsorship just because you're seen as a as someone online who might be problematic and exactly. isn't running with the brand's um, party line. And I think for me personally, it was inspiring enough to use um, our pods, whether no one listens to it or Phil and his dog, <laughs> to um, to highlight uh, that for my community or the black community that they should keep fighting for the justice for George and for Belly. And for the many, many others that have fallen foul of injustice all over the world. I think if, regardless of what we talk about from Red Bull later on, the main thing I'd like people to take away who want to help is just to listen and to not ignore the abuse and hatred directed at others in society purely because of the colour of their skin, which is who they are, Mm. or part of who they are. Yeah. I also want those same people who want to help to continue sharing posts, continue to read informative pieces online so that they can learn and that can, others can learn as well. And actually the most important bit is when exposed to racism, whether it's a format at work drinks or within family, don't ignore it, don't tolerate it, don't accept it. Mm, don't turn a blind eye. No, exactly. I think it, the main thing is is to challenge it and to help eradicate it so the world that we're in now can be a better place in the future for everyone. Mm. And I think that's, it will pop that kind of to one side now. But it's definitely something that we yeah. need to address prior exactly, to talking yeah. about um, the, re- the return of football, Project yeah. Restart, etc. Because obviously a lot of sports 
sportsmen and women across all sports have came out um, in solidarity. So it's definitely something to to touch on before getting into lighter aspects of the of the pod. No, hundred percent agree. But yeah, as um, Mourinho's teams tend to do, we'll park the bus and leave that there, <laughs> and we'll move on to something else. And last bit from the Bundesliga, which I watched on the weekend, was the Route One assist from Galaski. Timo Werner literally just punted yeah. the ball down the field <laughs> Manuel Neuer take notes yeah actually it's quite weirdly satisfying uh, just seeing like one big goal kick and then straight through and there being a goal yeah <laughs> I don't know why normally like, you, you know you like 20 move passes but I thought that was quite good but yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway Dryden how are you doing yeah I'm, I'm not too bad um, been excited to record the first first pod board of lockdown um, I've also been watching quite a lot of Bundesliga I've been to one Bundesliga game which was an FC Colm game. Um, I saw the first win of the season, which is interesting because um, it took place in, in December <laughs> in 2018. <laughs> so uh, that was an interesting uh, experience, but it was it was good fun. I mean, you can drink on the stands, you can smoke if that's your if that's your poison or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the Bundesliga this season, I've been watching since the restart. I've been watching Hertha Berlin. They've got some interesting players. Matthias Cunha is a real talent. Came from Leipzig mm. last summer. Um, Yavi Dillerson. Um, it was a talented player who came from Man City's academy, um, much like Sancho did. Even though he didn't start there, etc. Yeah. Uh, Marco Grujic, the football manager mercenary, is on loan from Liverpool. That Marco Grujic, uh, on my football manager, he always ends up at Bournemouth. <laughs> I don't know why. Like he just always ends up at Bournemouth. Fair I, enough. I've, I haven't got anything else to add. Well, he's, he's, just... he's always very highly rated, but then like just does nothing and into yeah. about 20 clubs <laughs> always Bournemouth or sometimes West Ham it's one of those two clubs um, yeah so today Etches will be telling us what he has learned about Red Bull and their involvement in football with a specific focus on RB Leipzig this will be part of our spotlight series addressing wider topics in the game please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for future episodes and content so to kick things off Etch how did Red Bull get involved with German football? Yeah, so we have to go quite a few years back to 2006 where Red Bull attempted to buy a local East German club called FC Sachsen Leipzig. I think that pronunciation is is pretty spot on there. The, the idea <laughs> was that Red Bull were going to invest, I think it was roughly 50 million over a number of years and rebrand it under the Red Bull name. Mm. However, the DFB, who are the German Football Association, weren't really happy with the proposal. They were concerned that Red Bull would have too much influence at the club, um, so therefore it was rejected. But this also coincided with massive protests from fans, and in the end, Red Bull decided it's best to just uh, withdraw the deal. Mm. But Red Bull kept on trying. Uh, there were other failed attempts at clubs like St. Pauli and Fortuna Dusseldorf. But there were similar concerns there as well in terms of um, Red Bull having too much influence yeah. and fans kicked off there and the DFB got involved mm. again. So it never really got off the ground. Yeah, I wonder if that's typical of Red Bull's move into other sports. So the extreme sport market, F1, um, different in terms of their typically individual sports or franchise base such as F1. Um, but I mean, it's, it's interesting because Red Bull's base product is an energy drink that has re- has largely remained unchanged bar different flavors throughout the years. And as far as I'm aware, that is still their main product base. If you go on the website, which I did so before the pod, they 
you can't actually find any reference to their products unless you go into the different parts of the site. Like it's just purely about right. their, their involvement in sports. Like this, it's a really good website in terms of design. Like you've got all the skiing exploits, Formula One, football, just on there. And you really have to dig to find out that they actually make Red Bull cans of energy drink. <laughs> it's not enough. too obvious, um, but it's interesting um, because now they've become so much more than that. Yeah, it is a really interesting point. I didn't know that. Um, obviously, I don't have as much spare time as you <laughs> to look into Red Bull's specific Just a big fun. Just, just a big fun. Yeah, clearly. Um, so let's let's uh, go from 2006 originally to 2009, where Red Bull decided to return to East Germany. The reason why is there are actually very few big footballing sides in the region. I showed uh, Dryden a few weeks ago a picture of where all the Bundesliga teams are based. And it's actually striking to yeah, see how many are in the West compared to the East. Mm. So, no, yeah, they moved back to the East because the infrastructure is very good. Uh, they're very good transport links as well as a really big stadium. And they eventually reached a deal with a team in East Germany called SSV Markensaft, who are in the fifth tier of German football. They were located at roughly 13 kilometers mm. east of Leipzig, so a bit further out. Yeah, yeah. the club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned Red Bull's previous failed attempts to buy a club or their rights. Why was Markensaft more receptive to investment? Yeah, I think Markensaft wanted to secure their long-term playing future and the money from Red Bull helped them do that. So... The club actually was taken over entirely for the 2009-2010 season with the deal being worth roughly 350,000 euros. But then in 2010, uh, after that season ended, so the 2010-2011 season, Leipzig gave uh, Markensaft their second, third and fourth team back, which originally needed to be admitted into the league. So Mark and Seth actually got a promotion, a hefty payout, which secured their future, which overall isn't actually mm. too bad. And then from all of this, um, you know, before that in 2009, uh, RB Leipzig was actually born. But one thing I wanted to point out was that RB doesn't actually stand for Red Bull. It actually stands for Rassenball. So its full name is Rassenball Sport Leipzig. And it mm. was seen as a really clever way for them to get around DFB's rules with naming the club. So back in 2006, one of the reasons why it got rejected was, you know, they wanted to change the name. So that RB was a clever way mm. of avoiding that. And for your information, <laughs> Rass and Ball in English means lawn ball sports. Nice. Yeah. So I've been calling Leipzig Red Bull Leipzig for as long as I've known them. So I guess that's... Uh, Guess I've been a fool, but yeah. So I mean, the closest equivalent you have in in England is perhaps Salford City. I mean, obviously a long way off the heights of what Leipzig have have got to, but obviously they've came into what was a non-league club in Salford City um, for different reasons. Obviously, you don't have the the requirement to the same requirements that you do in Germany um, for getting um, a, a team into the league. Um, but with yeah, the class of '92 consortium coming in to Salford um, and basically bankrolling them. Um, what I didn't realize about Salford actually got off topic a little bit, but um, Peter Lim, the Valencia owner, is the majority shareholder there. So that's alongside the consortium. So they're actually now quite, they've got a lot of backing behind them. And yeah, it's quite some firepower. 
Sorry? They've got some firepower. Yeah, some real, some real mm. firepower. Yeah, so there's really interesting points, actually. But, you know, obviously, Salford are in League 2. But, yeah, I guess they are kind of on a similar sort of path now. It's whether they'll get there or not. Yeah, or be as successful as Leipzig. Yeah, indeed. And they, they came to criticism to. for um, purchasing players and paying wages that are far higher than the clubs around them. Mm. Obviously, they've got this back in. Um, and that comes with a lot of stick. Obviously, that it just means that it becomes a bit of a formality in, in that particular league season. The people mm. around them can't compete. Exactly. It does make you wonder. But then that's how you get that's how you get up to the top mm. in modern football. Exactly that. And speaking of the top, well, obviously, Leipzig now aren't top I think they're fourth mm. but from their inception in 2009 to 2019 you know they've gone up from the fifth tier of German football to Champions League quarter finalists which is which is really crazy and the Red Bull brand it's not just RB Leipzig have sides in well now Austria Brazil Germany the US and formerly Ghana mm. so you know that this ever-growing sort of brand yeah that's interesting I bet most aren't aware of their ventures into, say, Brazil and Ghana. But generally, how does their ownership of these clubs work in terms of structure and decision-making? Yeah, in terms of structure, RBS set up pretty in a pretty similar way compared to most other German clubs. But there are massive differences in the way it admits its members. Mm. And members play a really key role in Germany because they have the 50 plus one role. So... The 50 plus one rule is basically that fans must own 50% of shares in the club plus one share to limit private influence unless if the private investor has been involved with the club for over 20 years. Mm. Like Bayer and Volkswagen with Leverkusen and Wolfsburg. But on a side note, imagine if that rule existed in England because obviously football here is so 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 expensive mm, um, so commercialized yeah exactly i did some research and the highest season ticket price in germany is 842 pounds compared to uh, in england the highest is 1995 pounds to watch jose Mourinho park the bus <laughs> just some context yeah. that hs uh, is an arsenal supporter Hence the uh, negative tones towards uh, King Jose. But there's no bias at all. No bias, completely no. impartial. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll no try my best to balance up that uh, <laughs> impartiality, impartiality if possible. Uh, there was a stage when Arsenal fans were paying similar sums to watch Lord Bentner and Shamak, for example, at the Emirates. So no comment. You know, <laughs> no comment. I mean, I'm a, I mean, I'm a Sunderland fan. Lord Bentner did score penalty in St James's Park for Sunderland, so I can only, have, I, only have, <laughs> I only have good things to say about him. Um, but yeah, it, it exemplifies the difference between the English and German fan experience. So yeah, it's, it's linked to the commerciality and competition of the Premier League. It means that clubs have to squeeze every penny. Um, but it is refreshing that in Germany you still do have ceiling to an extent of um, of season tickets and match day tickets. Yeah, I really like it because I think it gives power back to the fans, which I think is yeah. really, really important. But yeah, the situation at Leipzig is basically that 99% of the shares are owned by Red Bull, with 1% being owned by the club. So in order for them to comply with the 50 plus 1 rule, that 1% has 100% of the voting rights. So you're probably thinking, oh, okay, that's, that's not that's not too bad. Leipzig, however, only has 17 members, and they're all employed either directly or indirectly red, red, by Red Bull. Sorry. So straight away you're thinking, okay, so Red Bull essentially control the club and there's no fan input in terms of voting 
Fans can pay up to £1,000 a year for a gold membership, but they still won't have any voting rights. But for that amount of money, maybe you get a picture of the coach, maybe Nugglesman. Well, Nugglesman. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting choice for Tyre in, uh, in the restart in the Bundesliga. I just don't look. You can you can wear a suit. Uh, you can wear a tracksuit, club tracksuit. I just don't think you can wear a Nike t-shirt, some weird trousers that are turned up. Ankle socks. It looks a bit like, I don't want to be rude, but it looks a bit like he's been kicked through Sports Direct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a bit rude. There, there have been four games and he hasn't really done well in any I'd be of the four wearing, games. I'd be wearing the club stash. Yeah. The club attire. It's a I safe bet. I've got to that position where I'm now in a Champions League club. You know, I've worked, to, I know he's only 32, but I've worked towards it for a while. I'd be, I'd be going to bed in the stuff. <laughs> yeah, true say. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly wouldn't be wearing a Nike t-shirt like that. I think that's <laughs> that's a big red flag. Um, <laughs> offside flag. Yeah, offside flag indeed. So how has their ownership been received by fans in Germany? Yeah, home fans don't like it that much because they feel that they have no say in the club compared to other German sides. Mm. And they also feel that there's no identity away from their Red Bull sponsor. Opposing fans on the flip side, they feel like RB has bought their success mm. and as a result has kind of ruined the integrity of the 50 plus one rule by kind of bypassing it. Yeah, it's unsurprising. Mm. Um, it does provide wider questions of would you sacrifice tradition, heritage for money and success mm. in the game? Um, I mean, I can see how some fans may not want the club to be part of the Red Bull marketing exercise mm. that a lot of the franchises have become. Um, and, you know, perhaps fans could look at their own clubs um, in England and Germany, wherever, and see who's actually owning your club. I mean, while it might not be a big, you know, overt uh, enterprise such as uh, Red Bull, you're still probably part of, a, part of a business portfolio by some owner or, or someone, you think like Fenway Sports Liverpool, for example, they own um, sports teams in America. So you've got to look at, you know, is it actually too different to what we already have in certain aspects, perhaps in Germany, but globally, you know, is it is it too um, unsurprising to see or too different? Um, but football fans are always going to be purists in that in that sense that they want their local community at heart. They want a custodian in charge of their clubs. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and the current COVID situation has kind of emphasised how, you know, empty, the empty stadiums, the lack of fans generally how important fans are to the game. Um, yeah, very. It's kind of a, kind of a side, side point, but... Mm. Yeah, I think in the UK, especially with increasing season ticket prices and just generally fans being, real fans being kind of squeezed out the game, mm. I think, yeah, you're right, COVID has definitely highlighted how important they actually are for the success of any sides. So getting back to the Red Bull Network, is there much movement between the clubs? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Red Bull have teams in Germany, Austria, America, and Brazil. And that allows for the fluent movement of players as well as coaches. So, Conrad Lehmer, uh, Peter Galaski, Naby Keita, who Liverpool fans will know really, really well, mm. and Dio Uncano have all moved from Salzburg to Leipzig in recent seasons. Looking at from a manager side, uh, former New York Red Bulls coach Jesse March joined Leipzig as an assistant manager and then actually moved on to Salzburg to become manager. And then if you look at the state side in terms of personnel, you have uh, Tyler Adams who left New York Red Bulls to join uh, RB Leipzig. I think it was sometime last year. So you can kind of get the picture of all these different coaches and players moving from different continents yep. uh, in and out between various sides. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you you wonder if Werner was to leave Leipzig with his fifty million euro um, release clause, if we're going to see another move from Salzburg across mm. to Leipzig. Um, there's Pats in Dakar, for example, and Sedu Koita, who I signed off for manager. Mm. Um, they're two players, for example, that I come across. Mm. And you do wonder if Leipzig is the main project in that regard, because yep. as you said, there's been so much movement. So what about Red Bull's presence in Brazil? Can you elaborate? Yeah, so Red Bull set up a side in 2007 called Red Bull Brazil. Mm, nice. Yeah, yeah, very obvious name. Um, but they failed to reach the top league there, which was their main aim. So they decided to enter a partnership with a club called Club Atletico Bragatino, who they felt stood a better chance of achieving their goals. In April 2019, they had a big rebrand and are now called Red Bull Bragatino. And that former Red Bull Brazil side now serves as a development team mm. within state football. Oh, interesting. Any other sides? Notable sides? Yeah, there's one I haven't really touched on called FC Liffering. They're a not too well-known feeder club for Salzburg mm. in the Austrian second division. And uh, they can't get promoted. Kind of like Barca B. Yeah, 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 or Real Castilla, yeah. Mm. It's interesting. Salzburg recently won the Austrian Cup, actually. But they are second in the Austrian first division, so I, I wonder if that owes to their sales. Haaland, Minamino, yeah. a number of the players that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but they do have 14 different nationalities in their first team squad, which is crazy. I've yes. mentioned a, no, a number of players from, um, they've got a number of players from Africa um, come through. So it seems like it's a bit of a breeding ground for these players to come, yeah. prove themselves in the Austrian league before perhaps moving further afield to the mm. German league, for example, going to going to Leipzig. Mm. Both Salzburg and Leipzig have been successful under the Red Bull brand and built strong teams fairly quickly. Do they have a particular philosophy for signing players? Yeah, all the clubs seem to have a strong emphasis on youth and not spending huge amounts on players. I think their record transfer across all the clubs is £27 Mm. for Naby Keita, who they ended up selling for double that at least. So if you look at the clubs individually or generally, Leipzig have the youngest squad in the Bundesliga at 24.2, Salzburg in Austria at 23.7, and New York Red Bulls at 25. And if you look at the managers, it's similar as well. I mean, Nagelsmann is only 32, which is crazy. <laughs> so young. What am I going to be doing at 32? Yeah, I know. <laughs> not, not much, I'll tell you that. Um, not good. And uh, Jesse March, who's the coach at um, Salzburg, is 46, which if you mm. compare to the Prem average at 50, is pretty good as well. But that average itself is probably hiked up quite a bit by um, King Roy and Don Carlo and Chalotti. <laughs> I think they... Uh, yeah, the monarchs of uh, the, the Premier League, nice. nice yeah, point. I think they do. But on, on top of all of that, because we mentioned the movement of players, um, you're probably thinking who is actually in control of that. And it's a guy called Ralph Ragnick, who actually was interviewed for the England mm. job ages ago yeah. before they gave it to Southgate. And he's managed various German sides at like Hoffenheim and RB Leipzig, actually, and was the former sporting director to RB Leipzig and Salzburg mm. and now he sits on top of all of that as head of strategy and development that's interesting it came from being a manager and he's moved up the, the hierarchy mm. into the into the club and the whole and the whole network King, King Roy King Roy seems like an eternal man um, because he's one of them characters that I don't think many people from our generation or say anyone in their 20s or early 30s 
really knew who, who Roy was unless you really learned the game until he moved back to Fulham or back to England to go to Fulham um, from his European exploits. Um, and then he went to Liverpool. And at that point, he was no spring chicken, was he? <laughs> yeah, not quite. <laughs> and not uh, quite. it's just interesting to see him back, but he's done well at Palace. Um, yeah, he's doing all right. <laughs> so we've talked at length about RB Leipzig, Salzburg and Red Bull sport and presence around the world. I suppose the last question has to be, will Red Bull come to England? Yeah, it's a good question. I think what's been clear from my research is that Red Bull, despite its critics, has been such a successful organisation that's constantly growing and evolving. I think um, not just in terms of its drinks, but also in terms of the clubs that it has. So Leipzig are extending their stadium potentially. Mm. And with it being a dominant player in the extreme sports world, you know, having a competitive F1 team, having a successful drinks brand behind it, there's no reason why it wouldn't have the resources to further expand its football network. Mm. Um, maybe in the not-too-distant future, we will see a Red Bull in England, but who knows? Yeah, but it has the resources and also less restriction in mm. England. You mentioned exactly. the 50 plus one rule, for example, in Germany. It seems like coming into an English club would be a lot smoother, perhaps. Mm. Um, and yeah, as you said, Red Bull can come in with a proven model of rapid success. Um, it's been applied across different sports. It's been applied in football across different teams. Um, this would likely be well received by for fans of clubs, um, perhaps clubs such as Bolton, Blackburn, Charlton, Coventry City, Sunderland, who used to be in the Premier League, um, that have big infrastructure that are kind of prime targets for this sort of investment. Um, and those clubs have been mismanaged financially in the past by owners or simply have just been, it's just been spent in the wrong ways. Red Bull seem to have this model that has worked. Um, across multiple sports. Um, and English football fans are very much used to this highly commercialised game. So the, you know, I don't think there'll be as much uproar as what there has been in Germany in terms of someone buying numerous players, um, paying high wages to win, pay-to-win kind of thing. Mm. Um, I don't think it'll be the same sort of uproar. Um, I'm not sure whether fans would be that receptive, though. I know, you know, if you pay to win, fans kind of go quiet. But I just feel with the uproar in Germany, I could just see certain diehard fans kicking up a fuss. Mm. Whether it'd be a big enough fuss for them not to actually enter to begin with uh, remains to be seen. Um, But I just feel the issues of Germany for Red Bull could make them a bit wary with trying to come to England. Yeah, and well, well, certainly, I don't think you'll see or or would be as popular the the rebranding exercise Mm. of these clubs. I can't see teams like historic teams, old teams like Bolton, Blackburn, for example, Charlton, Coventry, changing their name, changing their stadium name, mm-hmm. changing their badge. Um, it's a it's a big it's a big change. And is that is that going to be a requirement for Red Bull coming to the sport? You think it wouldn't necessarily need mm-hmm. to be, but they're going to want their brand somewhere, otherwise they wouldn't have done it mm-hmm. elsewhere, which they obviously have very overtly. Mm, exactly. That's it for this week's podcast. Thank you to Etchers for the research and insight. Please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for links to future pods and contents, please feel free to leave comments, feedback, and of course, ideas for future pods. Um, we're very much football fans, just like you. So we'd like to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.